Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. If you'll have that ready, we're going to spend a little time in that text here this morning. And uh, first of all, if you're visiting Christ Church this morning, my name is Mark. I have the privilege of being one of the ministers here at the church. We're glad you're with us. I'd also like to say Happy Mother's Day to all of our mothers. And uh, we have two wishes for you today. Uh, first of all, we hope that you feel the love of your family. I hope you get to hear expressions of that and know how much they value you. And second thing we want you to know is how much we respect the role you play in their lives. And as a church, we celebrate moms. The price you pay to be a good mom is unknown to so many, and it couldn't even be counted. But we want you to know that we respect what you do, and we pray for you. And so we hope today is a very special day where you feel special and loved uh, for all that you do. Uh, As Addie talked about, today we're going to complete this series by looking at how we play. I've never preached a sermon on prayer before. So the research was quite interesting to me uh, about how do uh, Christians play? How do we live out our marriages and live out parenting with the faithfulness of God? How do we live out being single in this world and the faithfulness of God? And then how do we find work, rest, and play? Social critic H.L. Mencken once said, Christians have a deep fear that somebody somewhere might be having a good time. And that, that's That's fair. I may have grown up in that church. Um, Philosopher Frederick Nietzsche once observed that he would only believe in a God who danced. And unfortunately, no one introduced him to the God that dances. Now, I know right now some of you are panicked. The word dance is a trigger word. I've seen it both service previous to this. And there you sit going, oh no. Now, some of you thought of the Charleston and got happy. Some of you... Some of you thought of what's going on today with young people. That's not dancing. There's another word for that. We'll talk on another day. I'm going to redeem the word dancing before the morning's over, so be patient and trust. You see, it seems unfortunate that in our culture, a real Christian is defined as serious, sober, or sad. And that's just not right. We have a God who dances. We have a God who's playful. And we have a God who's not always serious. Although there's moments for us to be serious because life is a serious issue, but it also can be full of joy. So for a world that thinks we have to be sober, serious, or sad, I'd like to show you in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 that the scriptures offer us a greater diversity and variety than that. Ecclesiastes 3 verses 1 through 8. Some of you will know the pop song, but here's where it came from. There is a time for everything, And a season for every activity under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. And if you're thinking of Footloose right now, stop. They misused this. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep, a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. Solomon, who wrote these words, was showing us that everything 
has its place in life. Finding the rhythm of its place is what we're after. But all of these things have their rightful moment. Even things like hate and war have their rightful moment. But in God's plan rather than ours. I'd like to define what this word play means. So we, as we talk about playing going forward, we'll know what we're talking about. Play is legitimate and moral activity. That's the first clause that's important. Legitimate moral activity engaged in for enjoyment or recreation. And I even think if we want to redeem the word recreation, we need to understand where it came from. To recreate ourselves. To dance and laugh and experience and enjoy the way God gave us all things to be enjoyed. So the first point I want to make today is play is a command that comes from blessing. Now, two weeks ago in work, I told you that work has blessings for those who work. And rest last week has blessings for those who rest. But play comes from blessing. It's a result of being blessed that we find the joy and the playfulness that God has created us to have. The early church, throughout the history of the church, there's not always been a fond disposition toward play. In fact, uh, church fathers such as Tertullian and Ignatius Loyola both downplayed play as a waste of time and a distraction from living the spiritual walk. But they lived in an age where the, the spiritual was separated from the physical. So if you physically enjoyed anything, it could not have been good for you. Everything had to be harsh to be spiritual. But we realize it's not what the Bible teaches in its totality. It teaches that the physical body is given by God for God for worship, for an expression of the creativity of God in each one of us. So we don't separate the spirit from the body. And so having done that, it often seems like there's no place for joy as you read through the history of the church, that Christians are supposed to be somber all the time. But I want to show you some examples of how I don't believe that that's true nor do many scholars. Just look at natural theology, what we see in creation, children. Children naturally play, don't they? We don't teach them how to play. They just naturally play. And if you look at the joy in which children play, you see something maybe missing from your own existence. For instance, give me a five or six-year-old boy, and if I give him two rocks about the size of his hands, I promise you within the next 20 minutes, those two rocks are going to be at war. They're going to be fighting each other, and a rock will win, and a rock will lose. And you women go, we don't understand that. Every guy in the room does, however. It's how we play. Give us a little truck or a car, and we're going to run it up a tree or into a tree or through a tree. We're going to figure out a way to play. Take a, give me a two-year-old little girl, and then have me bring in a six-month-old baby. And what is that little girl going to begin to play? What role is she going to begin to play instantly? Mama. And she's going to mother, even though she's only 18 months older, she's going to mother that child, isn't she? She's playing. She's pretending. She's enjoying. She's imagining what her fulfilled life might be like. Children play naturally. And educational psychologists will tell you that a child who's not allowed to play or will not play will be developmentally challenged. They won't grow if there's no play, if there's no enjoyment. And then you look at creation. There are biblical references that would seem to indicate that playfulness is built into creation. Psalm 96, 11 and 12. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy. 
Notice that the creation, the earth celebrates. Remember, Jesus said, if you won't praise me, the rocks will cry out. Playfulness and celebration is a part of what God has built into creation. Psalm 104 says, it speaks to the Leviathan. Most people believe those are the whales or the large sea creatures. They were formed to frolic. That's an interesting word, formed to frolic. Now, we talked about this two weeks ago, but let me bring it up again. Can you frolic seriously? Or isn't frolicking in its nature putting off the disposition of just being so proper? The other day I was to the mall to return something, which is redundant because that would be the only reason I would go to a mall. And I was returning something, and this gentleman who was older than me Silver hair, I'm imagining he was in his 70s, was skipping in the mall. And I wondered, why was he skipping? And then it dawned on me, because he could. And at his age, he celebrated that. And he was skipping and singing and having a great time, and he didn't work there. But he just decided to skip. And I got a a kick out of that, and I thought, this was for me. And I started smiling, and I looked over at Orange Julius, which I wanted to be at, and there were these two girls working there who were laughing with me. At his joy. Why do the whales jump out of the water? Because they can. Why do birds gather in a field and one bird goes, I'm gone, and the rest of them go with him? <laughs> you, have you ever seen one bird doesn't fly away? All of them go, yeah, I'm in, and they go. And, there's, and they're in and out and making formations and having fun. You see, what happened to us? That we were born to play We enjoy when other people play, but maybe we've forgotten that play can be worshipped too. Even biblical theology supports the rhythm of work, rest, and play. The Sabbath, as an example. Now, what I love about this word is when I say the word Sabbath, for about a third of the audience, you get angry. Because God's telling you to stop it. And you hate being told to stop it. So when you hear the Sabbath, you're like, oh, i got so much to do. You're not God, Relax. The Sabbath is not punishment. The Sabbath is a blessing. Now see, here's what I'm factoring in. Work, rest, and play. Most of us major in one of these. And not only do we major in one of these, we think less of the other two groups. Work's the way it ought to be. That's what made this country great. Hmm. Burn out and see how great it is. Rest. Well, all those people working for the dollar and all this, I'm just going to sit here and do nothing, but who's going to take care of you? And yours. And then play. Well, you know, unless you could just really get away and get on a boat and relax and do this and this, but we're not talking about segmentally looking at your life and saying, well, I've rested today, I've worked today, and I've played today. I must be good. No, no, no. We're not talking about being good. We're talking about being whole. You see, here's what you can do, which is fascinates me. Instead of saying, I have three of these checklists and I punch this one, this one, and this one, and I've had a good day. No, no. You can rest in your work. Work in your rest and play in both. Does that make sense? You can actually enjoy and play in your work and enjoy and play in your rest. And God's not out there going, oh, you got them all wrong. No, he's going, no. When you get them all together, you become whole. And it becomes worship because it's connected to God, not separate. The Sabbath was a day where God said, I want to create space, or our new word, I want to create margin in your life where you can rest and play. Because I've got the rest of it. You trust me. 
It isn't a segmentation philosophy. It is an incorporate, an integrated philosophy where even in my work I can rest and play and even in my play I can rest and work. And I can do all of these things to God's glory. And then if the Sabbath isn't convincing to you, how about the festivals? Now, one of the best things about the festivals is they all included food. Amen. But the festivals were designed so that periodically they would take a time out from their work world and everyone would gather together and remember by celebrating. Think about this. They would remember by celebrating what God had done. Now, I know this is a a strange equation. I'm not going for the spiritual component, but this is what I love about Fourth of July weekend. For the most part, everyone stops working. Everyone gathers together with friends and family. We cook great food and we blow things up <laughs> to remember what a great country we have. I don't, the last part doesn't equate, but anyway. But we do. And we pause to remember freedom, that we live in a country where we can blow things up because we're free. And we eat hamburgers and sausages and chicken and wonderful foods that God has given us, right? God gave them to us, right, church? And we gather with friends and family that God gave us, right, church? And we celebrate a freedom that God has given us, right, church? And so we stop working because we can take a day off. God's got everything else under control, right, church? That's what the festivals were. A reminder of all that God had given them and pausing to celebrate it. And then there's dancing. Oh, and I know this troubles some. I've already seen some people who've had a little bit of problem with me today, and that's okay. We can disagree on this. Jesus is still Lord and Savior. But I found something out when I was studying this. The Hebrew word for dance is also the Hebrew word for play. So we're not talking about wiggling up, up and down against each other. We're talking about those things that just make your heart dance. Picture Snoopy on top of his doghouse. His feet going 1,000 miles an hour, his nose in the air, and he's just having fun. To dance... To enjoy Ecclesiastes 3, 4, a time to mourn and a time to play. Because there's a seriousness to life that's heavy, but there's also the release of joy. So if that doesn't compel you, if nature, children, and nature doesn't compel you, if the other reasons I have given you don't compel you, then let me ask you the question most of us need to answer. Was Jesus playful? Did Jesus play? Remember what Minkin and Nietzsche asked. They were looking for a God who danced. And I believe I found one. And just an example, John 10, 10. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. But trust me, church, John 10, 10 isn't speaking about what happens when you die. John 10, 10 is speaking about what happens right now. If you're waiting to die to enjoy Jesus, you're missing it. He wants you to have the balanced life, work, rest and play in him, not separate. If you look at the criticism of Jesus, it's who he celebrated and ate and drank with. They weren't people that were popular. But he ate and drank, he celebrated, and they didn't find him sober and serious. They thought he played too much. His attendance, his first miracle, was at a wedding where he turned water into wine. And there's cases being made, well, it wasn't really wine, it was, no, no, come on. It was wine. Throughout the scripture, there is nothing wrong with enjoying a glass of wine. Now, nine of them in a night, you got an issue. (laughs) But enjoying a glass of wine is a gift that God has given us, and self-control is a sign of trusting him. And so because of that, anything God's given us is good to start with. We're the ones who ruin it. And so we have a God who dances. 
Jürgen Moltmann wrote a book called Theology of Play. It's an epic book on this field. Unfortunately, it's out of print. And the research I did on what's contained in that is he took all the theology of Scripture about play. A couple of things jumped out to my mind that I thought were significant. First is this. Play is a celebration of living a full life. Experiencing all that God intends and enjoying that. Again, we emulate God when we play. Because nature plays. And play takes away the over-seriousness of life. It takes it away. Turns it into something that God never intended it to. Life is hard because we, we broke it. But life can still find freedom and joy in Christ. In fact, in Job, God formed, when he told Job, when he created the world, the morning stars sang together and the angels shouted for joy. There was a celebration when earth was created. It wasn't just work. It was a work that fulfilled and brought joy and energy. In my research, I discovered that the Greek fathers in the 4th century chose the word which literally, for the Trinity. How did God, the Father, and uh, Spirit, how did the three of those work together? In the 4th century, the Greeks, in their research, came up and created a word that, we, that means the Trinity dances together. And I thought, that's joyful and it's beautiful. Our God is a dancing, playful God. And I want to show you a passage. If you open your Bibles to Nehemiah 8. It's right there in your Old Testament. In Nehemiah chapter 8, I want to give you the background of a text that was startling to me and reassuring. The people had been sent to captivity. And they were taken by the Babylonians. And they were, they were punished. And then God allowed them to go back to rebuild the walls and to rebuild the temple. And when they were going through the destruction of the temple, they found the scrolls that contained the ancient scriptures. And they got together and they began to read those. This is where we're at in Nehemiah 8, verse 8. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Now I want you to pause here for a moment. Here's the scene. They heard what God expected, they knew what they had become, and they saw the gap. The gap was massive, it was devastating, it was humiliating, and they surrendered to the fact that they were as far from God as any pagan, and they began to cry. The conviction of God's word will often lead us to tears, but that's not where we stay. Look what happened, verse 10. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. And send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Did you hear what God said? I don't know if you ever got this as a kid. I got this. I don't know where my dad picked it up. Maybe a Missouri phrase. But we'd be crying about something, and my dad would say, dry up. And Nehemiah says to the people, dry up and celebrate. Because the mercy of the Lord will restore you. Do you all catch why we celebrate? Because even when we're far from God, his mercy gives us a chance to come home. And he said, dry up and celebrate. Break out your choice drinks and choice food and make sure everyone has some. And let's gather together and celebrate. We now know what the Lord requires. Let's live it. And so that's what I want to do. Now, I need to confess something here. If I'm going to show you how to play, I have to understand we're all a little bit different. So what I want to do is offer you ways the Bible teaches us we can play, but it won't fit every one of us. I have a very dark sense of humor. Some of you have noticed. 
I have a Three Stooges sense of humor. If you poke someone in the eye in front of me, I will laugh. I know it hurts, but it's funny. You poke me in the eye, not so much. If you fall down in front of me, I will help you up. I might be giggling, but I will help you up. Because one moment you're standing, the next moment you're not. That's unexpected. My wife judges me because my sense of humor is often at someone's expense. We were walking into a mire, which is like a Walmart in Michigan. It's a local chain. They've gone through the Midwest, but it's a nice, nice place to shop. And we had Alex, and he was four or five years old, if I remember correctly. And we were doing the one, two, three, wee thing. You know, one, two, three, wee. And he goes up in the air and lands. And we were doing that. And I noticed out of the corner of my eye that there was a lady getting out of a minivan with a large plastic bag full of pop cans and bottles. Now, in Michigan, they're worth a dime apiece. So she had about $1,000 in this one bag. And she was wrestling this thing out of her van, heading on a winter's night into mire, and her feet went out from under her. So she went parallel and then splat. The trash bag hit the ground. She didn't have it tied, and every can and bottle poured all over the parking lot. This was after a one, two, three, we, and we landed. And my wife has this tendency to make it my fault that she fell. And she goes, Mark, help her. Like I tripped her. So I go to let go of, of Alex's hand, and my five-year-old is on his knees laughing harder than he's ever laughed a day in his life. And then Heather gives us, the look said this, great, two of you. And so we scurried over and picked up bottles and cans and put them in a the bag and helped her up. Bruised pride was the prognosis she was giggling. She started fawning on Alex. What a cute little boy. Thanks for helping. She was diverting attention 100%. I can still laugh about that today. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. I don't want anybody hurt. But if you fall down in front of me, joy breaks out. <laughs> We've learned to contain our joy, haven't we? It's not proper. That's not funny. Oh, it is funny. I just shouldn't laugh. Because humor, by definition, is the unexpected. What makes you laugh is when you didn't see it coming. And so why have we been trained as Christians to withhold our joy? Why when something good happens are we so, you know, I've even had people say, here, they clap and whistle when someone's baptized. Oh, we're going to do that forever. Because I think heaven's a celebration. We don't sit there and give them the holy harumph. Hmm, well done. No. (laughs) No, no. Joy. And so I want to show you biblically what should make your tail wag or what should make you dance. I'd like to begin with Proverbs 8, 30 through 31. Then I was the craftsman at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in mankind. Isn't that the life you want to live? It is the one I want to live. Working with God and enjoying everything he gave me to enjoy. Notice, working, resting, and celebrating everything God's given me. So let me give you some reasons, just a few samples of what the Bible tells us to make our tails wag and make us dance. Number one is the enjoyment of salvation. Addie talked about it so well in her thoughts toward the Lord's Supper, about needing to be saved. Psalm 3011, you turn my wailing into, interesting word, dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. The promises that are delivered there are not for the perfect. 
They're not for the, the Christian who's got it all right, does everything just the right way at the right time for the right reasons. No, salvation is for those who are drowning and it's their fault. So every one of us who needs to be saved, even those of you here today who don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we're not better than you. We just asked for help. And he brought it. And so because of that, we can dance and celebrate the salvation that he's given us. And then there's a promise in scripture of the enjoyment of abundant life. Now, if I'm sitting where you're sitting right now, my conclusion is, well, that's redundant, Mark. The abundant life is salvation. Then I thought for a second, I went, no, actually it's not. There are a lot of people in this room who are saved who aren't enjoying the abundant life. There's a difference. You see, in Deuteronomy 6, 1 and 2, these are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you, to observe in the land that you are now crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you and so that you may enjoy long life. This is not a quid pro quo statement. This is not a, if you do this, then God guarantees you get this in return. What this passage actually is saying is that your legacy and your life with God is enhanced and embellished by trusting him. That's the long life you seek. God does not measure your life by how many years you live. He measures your life by the faith you display. And the beauty of faith is you'll live forever if you trust the commands and precepts of our God. So there's not only being saved, there's being able to live that out in a beautiful way. I've used this quote before and I'm unashamed to use it again. Grace Hansen says, don't be afraid your life will end. Be afraid it never began. And that's where the joy of the Lord becomes our strength. Enjoyment of God's peace and security. So not only can we dance to the fact we're saved and dance that God's got great things for us, we can also dance to the truth every single day that God's got our back. He protects us. Psalm 37, the days of the blameless are known to the Lord and their inheritance will endure forever. In times of disaster, they will not wither. In days of famine, they will enjoy plenty. And then to bring this full circle, the Bible tells us we can enjoy our work. It may seem oxymoronic to many, but you can actually enjoy your work. But I believe in your work, you can find rest and play. Ecclesiastes 5.18, Then I realize that it is good and proper for a man to eat and drink and to find satisfaction in his toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given him for this is his lot. Moreover, when God gives any man wealth and possession and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot and be happy in his work, this is a gift of God. He seldom reflects on the day of his life because God keeps him occupied with gladness of heart. That's a strange passage. Let me interpret it. Not because you can't figure it out, but I've had a lot of time to think about it. Solomon was a bit of a cynic because life was hard. So Solomon comes to this conclusion. Life is hard. Life will remain hard. And if all you do, and listen to me carefully, if all you do is work, rest, and play with no purpose, then life is just going to be hard. And then you're going to die. Yay. But he says, but if life is hard, but you know that you're working, resting, and playing in God, then there's a blessing at the end of that that others won't receive. And that's how the gladness of heart can occur when life is hard. Now, editorial comment. Nobody in this room enjoys sports as much as me. Now, maybe equal, but not more. And so it can become an idol to me. And we live in a world now 
Whereas James Dobson likes to say, we make sure we give our kids what we don't have, but we may not be giving them what we did have. So if you think I'm about to rail against sports, now I'm railing against a concept, which is this. This building is not the church. So should you not be here on a weekend due to sporting events? Be the church where you're at. It's when we allow our kids to be away from the fellowship and we don't take Jesus with us where they go, then it's no wonder our children will wonder in years to come that the church doesn't seem that important. If, if I have something else to do, I can do that. Now, here's what I'm not saying. You have to be in this building every Sunday. No, you need to be with the Lord every day. So if we're going to allow our children the privilege of having these activities, whether it's a band or art or whatever you name yours, Heather and I have to confess, we've not been as consistent as we need to be so that on those Sundays that we're doing something as a family, we need to make sure that church isn't just located here. I couldn't be out in Orinogo Sunday. That doesn't mean I can't be with the Lord in the church. Church, are you with me? Why we work, rest, and play makes it important. Not that we just work, rest, and play. Isaiah 65, 22. No longer will they build houses and others live in them, or plants and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. What a blessing. To do anything, whether it's work, rest, or play to God. And there's also enjoyment of rest. Psalm 23 is very famous because of the imagery and what it does to us. It says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. I remember being a kid growing up, and it would be a summer day, and mom would bounce us out of the house because she wanted quiet. And uh, so we would go out and play. And I remember sometimes just laying in the, in the yard, and that was the first time I ever just stopped and looked at grass. And I realized if you pull carefully, you could pull right out of the center of a blade of grass, the stalk. And I would chew on that. I can still taste what fresh grass tastes like. And I remember just seeing the intricacy of a blade of grass. And that striking me as a kid. I didn't know this was here. And I would just enjoy it. So when I hear the 23rd Psalm, I think of laying in pastures and laying beside still waters. And we all want, don't we all want a little cottage next to the water to just sit and enjoy And the imagery is beautiful. I'm going to take a risk here because you may not get my illustration. I hope you do. Do you know that sensation you have when you crawl into your bed with fresh, clean sheets? Thank you. (laughs) Second, I was like, nah, okay. You know, when, when you're tired and it's your bed, maybe you've traveled or worked all day, you come home and someone was nice enough and the sheets were clean and fresh and the room's a little cold, and you're excited, and you pull back the sheets, and you can smell they're clean, and you crawl into them, and they're cool, and you stretch like an old dog, you know, you bend your back, and you make noises you're embarrassed by, and then you put your feet clear down at the bottom, and you wiggle your toes, and it's clean and fresh, and then you say to yourself, for the next five, six, eight hours, I'm going to rest, and God's got it all. That's the 23rd Psalm. God has given us the enjoyment of stretching out, realizing for the next eight hours, he can cover what we can't. Also, there's promise of the enjoyment of food and drink. I don't have nearly enough time for this point. (laughs) Ecclesiastes 8.15. So I commend the enjoyment of life because nothing is better for a man under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. 
Then joy will accompany him in his work all the days of his life. God will give him under the sun. Yeah. Food can make me dance. And food makes my tail wag. Enjoyment of friendship and fellowship. Something God wants us to celebrate and dance to. Acts 2.46, every day the early church continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together. And many times we go, okay, we ate, we, we did this, we had the Lord's Supper, we had preaching, we had singing. But listen to why they did it. They did it with glad and sincere hearts. It brought them joy. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. There's a reason people don't want to come to church. There's no joy. They're not convinced this really matters to even us. So don't put on an insincere heart. But people, if you feel like dancing, dance. Enjoy. Whatever form of, whatever form of play you pursue. Music, reading, sports, furniture restoration, gardening, photography, no matter what you do. Let it be an expression of your relationship to God. Be grateful and celebrate it. There are rivers and lakes and oceans to swim in. There are mountains to scale and paths to walk. There are trees to climb and caves to explore and rocks to throw. There are wondrous flowers to smell, look at, prune, and develop. There is poetry to write, pictures to draw and paint, games to be played, putts to be made, burgers to be grilled. I could go on all afternoon. There are so many ways that we celebrate the goodness of our God, and I think we should. How about you? Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for men. We have a God who dances around us every day with beauty with trust, with security, and with salvation. I want us to be a group of people who celebrate that even in our work, even in our rest. Let's play in the beautiful garden God gave us because he's the giver of all good things. Let's stand together. Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.